You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Oops. Welcome into the Yachts and Audible's podcast. Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on today's show. Matt Preem unable to make this one, but we're bringing in the heaviest of heavy hitters to replace him today. We're thrilled to have on the host of Late Kick and many of your favorite chalice-sipping college football analysts. I will, in honor of you, Josh. Josh Pate here today. Josh, thanks so much for giving us some of your time. Yeah, I've got like a, a local water. It's called Callaway Blue. This is bottled in Harris County, Georgia, and they sell it in Nashville. I'm happy <laughs> to report. So Harris County more and more trying to contribute to at least the culinary scene, if not the outright cultural scene in this country. But, man, hey, we talked in preseason, and we circled this game and the USC game as possibility mm -hmm. when we could be speaking again. And maybe we'll go two for two Ooh. or at least one for one right now. Yeah, well, I I'm fired up that you'll be out there in Seattle. And for those unfamiliar, once upon a Saturday tour, making its debut uh, at Husky Stadium this weekend. I know it's also your first time at an Oregon-Washington game. I guess we'll start there. What have you heard about the rivalry and why was this the right time to, to make a trip out? Well, I think the I mean, the marquee of undefeated versus undefeated top 10, top 10. I mean, that's self-explanatory. I try to get to as many new places as I can get within reason. So we call ourselves going to the best game every Saturday. So you can't just randomly go somewhere you've never been. Like I can't randomly go to Oklahoma State just because. But we can absolutely go to Washington when they look like they do. Oregon looks like they do. I was hoping that this would be an undefeated versus undefeated. It is. I love that both of them have the long rest because this down south is the way that they've structured the Alabama LSU game, where both of mm -hmm. them have, have their bye weeks every year before each other. Uh, so a lot of times injuries get taken care of. Uh, there's no really weird external dynamic like we had with Louisville Notre Dame last week where someone's been on the road two weeks in a row, someone else is home on long rest. So there's that. Also, I love the, if you want to call it the subplot, we can call it a subplot. I love that Michael Penix has gotten his national due this year because it's hard to do at Washington. But I feel like there's sort of a dynamic brewing in this game this weekend that we had with OU Texas last weekend, where Quinn Ewers, justifiably so, had gotten a lot of hype so far. And Dylan Gabriel... If you're a hardcore fan, you followed him, but the national, more casual crowd could not tell you much about Dylan Gabriel. I think that's Bo Nix this year. I think people know he plays at Oregon. I think people know, yeah, he's a pretty good quarterback, but they're lying if they tell you they've watched him significantly. They tuned in maybe to watch Colorado and Bo Nix happened to be playing in the game, but I don't think people have made Bo Nix appointment viewing. So this Saturday is his big stage. It's his opportunity. I think to do kind of what Gabriel did last week uh, against Texas. Hey, just want to 
Thank you again for being on the show. Always great to have a national guy on here. We don't get him too often. And and because of that, I thought I'd ask you some some national type questions for you. This is obviously a very difficult conference slate in the Pac-12 this season. A lot of talent up and down this conference overall. From your perspective as as Pac-12 Pate, just is it too early to kind of figure out or have a sense of how this is going to play out, or do, do you do you think that this weekend could easily propel one team in, into that conference championship uh, crown that they're the I, best team in the conference? I think it's a significant rung on the ladder. And I think that's pretty commonsensical to say. I don't believe the things that are going to decide the Pac-12 championship matchup have happened, and they will not have happened by the end of this weekend. Someone will take a giant leap forward towards getting there. That part's obvious. Um, Losers not out of anything, obviously, when it comes to the matchup we're talking about. But also, you know, there's been like a... I guess a big national debate. I'll sit in on some of the editorial meetings even sometimes at CBS. And when people are trying to decide how are we shaping what we're going to talk about, what deserves to be talked about, how should things be talked about? I'm sure a lot of folks have had this conversation and the conversation sounds a little something like this. In the past, we've given the SEC benefit of the doubt. When one team lost a game, they're not out of it because it's a byproduct of the insanely high-level strength of schedule the SEC has. And I always agreed with it. I sung from the same hymnal they did. You absolutely have to say that about the Pac-12 this year. You're disingenuous Mm -hmm. if you don't. And so it is my belief because of that, you got half a dozen teams out there that are realistically in the race and realistically should be considered in the – at least the the playoff conversation or the periphery of the playoff conversation, you you just you can't be lazy and say, well, the Pac-12 can't be treated like that. In this year, they can't. And so this game should be viewed the same way as a random Georgia-Tennessee game or a random uh, Alabama-Florida game. It's one of many big bricks that build up that building of an SEC schedule. Only this year, you're talking about the Pac-12, and that's why – you know, especially with Southern Cal, this is this is the beginning for them this week, albeit an out-of-conference game. But every one of them from here to the finish line is stacked up, and you got Cal mixed in there. But other than that, it's it's boom, 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 one after the other. Right, and right. finally we get to we get to use the word gauntlet on the West Coast. We've been waiting <laughs> on this. I know as Pac-12 paid, I've been waiting on this. It's funny. I have Gauntlet in my next question here, but it's about a different conference. The conference Oregon's about to join the Big Ten. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts because we haven't obviously had you on since both Oregon and Washington were admitted to that conference. Um, what do you think about both of those schools' chances of competing there? Obviously, we're looking a year ahead, but just those those programs, I guess, how they fit there. And then, uh, and then the word I was going to use here was the Gauntlet of trying to maneuver through that conference each year and how difficult that could be for somebody. I don't know how Washington fits there. Oregon will be fine uh, because Oregon has a national talent acquisition apparatus. We need an acronym for that, by the way, because I'm really wow. tired of saying that, and I've only done it once. Um, Washington, <laughs> look, Washington's team this year would be fine in the Big Ten. I'm not talking about this year's team, but you said program. Program-wise, uh, remains to be seen. I don't have much doubt about Oregon. I have a little bigger question mark about Washington. The travel is always going to be an issue. I got in a big like front facing argument with a buddy of mine the other day about how travel is overrated and the impact of travel is overrated because we were, we were doing the whole big 10 schedule look ahead thing and Washington 
has like 18,000 combined miles just in four Big Ten road games next year. And side note, I, I don't think people understand how travel works. They keep on saying Washington's got to travel 2,200 miles to play Indiana. Well, it's not like they're going there and never coming back. It's there and back. So it's 4,400 miles, actually, folks, to play Indiana. And so he said, hey, they're, they're on airplanes. What's the big deal? It's not like they're traveling in covered wagon. And I asked him, you ever been to the West Coast? You ever flown cross country? Of course. Never been west of the Chattahoochee River. Grew up where I grew up. So he said, no, no. But, but it's still, it's what's four hours? I can sit still for four hours and function fine. I said, okay. You're clearly an expert on this, so I, I can't beat a dead horse anymore. I'm just telling you, it has a body clock impact, et cetera, et cetera. That's the stuff I wonder about more than anything. And then secondarily, I wonder about, like, what, what is the style of play we see? What do we call Big Ten football? Because when we had a regional sport, Southern football was something different than West Coast football was something different than Midwest football. Right. I wonder if now it's just kind of a – like a mixed bag, like a little potpourri, so to speak, of styles of play. And every conference has a little something for everyone. Uh, some people would tell you that's the best version of the sport. I'm not one of them. I happen to like regionality, but it is what it is. I think we're going to be fine. Washington, I think a little bigger question mark long term. This is this is more of a, a, a dumb question, so I'll get, it out, get that out of the way pretty early here. But it's something I've been wondering. With the Pac-12 coming to a foreseeable end, maybe maybe Oregon State and Washington State join the Mountain West, whatever. Have you begun to think about different nicknames instead of Pac-12 Pate? No, I need mm -hmm. to. No, I haven't. It could be a legacy name, you know? I, just because the Southwest Conference died doesn't mean everyone put away their Southwest Conference T-shirts or polos. I'm sure there are some of those still Fair. floating around. I saw – I'm from Georgia – People down there still have WCW paraphernalia. And that company went out of business 20 years ago. It got gobbled up by Vince McMahon. And, and my, how things have changed in that world these days. <laughs> so I, I picture myself as taking, you know, like in the office, the scene where he takes the Walkman and he presses play and there's Natalie Merchant playing in the background as he says his goodbyes. I, I am Michael Scott. I am playing Thank <laughs> You by, by Natalie Merchant as I just think each member institution individually and with Oregon state and, you know, Washington state, I hope to see you guys down the road. We'll see you at the 20 year reunion, sign my yearbook. <laughs> That's the kind of vibe I have right now. I guess you can still be packed to Pate, maybe. Um, <laughs> no, that's a good point. Yeah. I, I guess I could, I, you know what, it won't cost us much. So we'll hit up the trademark office. I'm just not sure I'm going to be throwing that one around publicly much. Yeah, you just have to mark out one of the numbers. Not too bad. Um, all right. Uh, you were more bullish, I think, on Oregon in the preseason than a lot of people, at least from what I read. Um, what was it about that? Like, I guess I'm just curious on your process of what did you like about Oregon coming into this season that led you to – because I think you had them top 10, and I know they were 10th in the AP, but you had them a little higher than everybody else. Yeah, still do. Have them top five now. Uh, JP poll, as we're recording, will come out tonight. Uh, I think we got them number four. So – I think it's pretty simple where I differed with the consensus public. I thought their offensive line wasn't nearly the question mark that the general public thought it was. Cause I think that uh, returning starters is a very misguided stat. Sometimes I, there are sometimes I would much rather have new starters than return the same pieces I had. And I'm speaking generically now, this is not 
an indictment on Oregon last year or anything like that. I just think people use that as a catch-all phrase. Well, they got to replace four guys. Well, who are they playing with? Who is going to be playing for them this year, and how good are they? That's really all I care about. And so I thought that they were probably better along the offensive line than your standard preview magazine thought they'd be. And also, and this was more overarching, I did not think they possessed the personnel to really do what Lanning wanted to do defensively last year. And I thought they took a really big step in terms of multiplicity and being able to really incorporate sub packages and different personnel packages that in an ideal world he'd like to run this year. And so I'm not saying they're there yet, but you watch Oregon this year versus last year. And I guarantee you, you sit an astute football coach next to you who can who can spell out what they're doing every play. And he'll tell you this right here, they could not have done last year. That right there, they could not have done last year. And so those two things, along with the fact that I thought they, they are, they've been very intentional about building depth on the defensive front, led me to think that in a world where the Pac-12 is loaded at quarterback, I just thought the team that could get after the quarterback the most consistently was actually going to be the one that set itself up with the best chance to win the conference. So we opened them as the preseason favorite. I say we, I mean, it's, it's me on this Island basically, but I opened them as the PAC 12 favorite. I still would pick them to win the PAC 12 today. You on that Island going directly off of Eric's question here and how bullish you were at Oregon preseason. They, they met your expectations, surpassed them. I would say met. Yeah. I'm also, I'm also a believer um, more so than ever with the way that the NCAA has changed what you can do in practice. I'm a believer that when you do have multiple new pieces at a particular unit, especially offensive line or defensive line and, and doubly, especially offensive line, it probably takes a little bit deeper into the season for that to gel and fully form into what it's going to be. That's why I think also more so than ever, it is very foolish to write your opinions in pen in September. Use very light pencil in September. And it, now if you lose two games like Clemson did, you're SOL, A&M, SOL mm -hmm. in all likelihood. But if you got a team with zero losses or one loss, uh, Ohio State is a perfect example right now. People think they figured Ohio State out. You, you figured the September version of them out. You have no idea if they may not all of a sudden, boom, and it finally coalesces and it gels and all of a sudden they're a, a top two or three team. Well, with Oregon, uh, they've been pretty consistent. I thought that Texas Tech game is one a lot of people didn't watch. They just looked at the final and said, oh, Oregon probably got exposed a little bit there. It, it was a, it was a hard fought football game. And some of us expected that. Therefore, we weren't surprised when it happened. Sometimes you win your losses is how I like to phrase that. That's a game probably seven times out of 10 they lose given the way it played out. If you're interested in the post-game win expectancy stat that a lot of the advanced guys like to keep, that's one Oregon doesn't win, but they want it. And when you win a loss, that is so beneficial for obvious reasons, but it also gives you a little wiggle room. For instance, this weekend, if they go up to Seattle and lose by four, it's not the end of the world. Conversely, because AM couldn't get the job done against Miami early in the season, it probably was the end of their world when they lose close to Alabama last week. So I think they've met my expectations so far, but I also don't think anyone in that building is, is cracking their knuckles saying, look at us, we're here. I think they understand there's a different gear they can hit. I believe there's a different gear they can hit. And, you know, kind of like Oklahoma last week, if I'm right about that, you'll do what Oklahoma did. You'll rev the engine a little bit. 
and you will play your best game of the year this Saturday. And that goes for Washington and Oregon. Washington's just already looked like a machine. You kind of said it earlier. It sounds like we see this similarly with Bo Nix and, and possible Heisman Trophy candidacy of this is a big opportunity for him. It's kind of a unique thing where he not only faces Washington and Penix this weekend, but they play USC and Caleb Williams later in the season. Probably if Oregon, if it goes to plant, one of those teams again in the conference championship, if you're just talking about Bo's chance for winning this award, I, my case in the preseason was if he went 3-0 and or 2-0 and against those two guys, give him a pretty decent shot to win that award. Do you see that similarly? And let's say hypothetically it plays out that way. Would he be your favorite possibly or, or, or kind of – I know you said Dylan Gabriel right now from Oklahoma coming off a Texas win, but if we fast forward, would, would that give Nick's a pretty good shot, you think? Yeah, it would. Um it's weird how the Heisman works. I've I've never been the biggest fan of the criteria that a lot of people use because you're asking me what actually will happen. So I'm not going to tell you how I think this should go. I will answer the question based on how this world actually works. How this world actually works is people will say things like Bo Nix versus Caleb Williams, although they'll never be on the field at the same time. Sure. People will also really get drunk on a moment, which is not a body of work, but but your Heisman moment has become synonymous with that award. And thirdly, and this is the part that should matter the least, uh, if Oregon is, is worth their salt in terms of marketing, which we all know they are, they will end up leveraging those big matchups into really good feature pieces on all the major networks leading into those big games. And you will then see the heartstrings tugged at, and also, and here's what else helps, some kind of viral moment, some kind of soundbite or snapshot, because that's really what wins Heisman's, sound bites and snapshots. Those things, none of which really matter when it comes to efficient quarterback play. If all of those things, if all of those dominoes fall, you just greatly increased your odds to win the Heisman. And I just perfectly encapsulated why I do not care for the process of voting on that award all that much. But even if we were to vote on this the right way, Bo Nix should be in the mix. And I, I say Gabriel last week because he did it on the big stage. Bo Nix's big stages are still ahead of him. And yeah, if he tackles those stages properly and plays at the highest level at the most important moments, yes. And also, he's got the story. You don't have to manufacture it around him. I watched him at Hewitt Trustful. I watched him in high school down in Alabama. And I watched him get just horrifically underdeveloped and mismanaged at Auburn and it feels like he's been around 15 years and all these years later he's out at Oregon doing what a lot of people in the south thought he was always capable of then he got written off and it's a really good story if it gets properly told I just hope it does and I hope he he exclamates it with big performances on these big stages coming up going back to this weekend's game a lot of maybe minor storylines big storylines to watch in this game for me I, I think it's you know, watching Oregon's fast secondary go against Michael Penix and their offense and their three-eye receivers. So for you, coming to Seattle, Husky Stadium, first time, what's the biggest area you're just excited to watch for this matchup? And it could be off the field, could be on the field. Just what is it for you? Yep. Uh, well, off the field, obviously. I've never been there. So just all-encompassing, what the environment is mm -hmm. like, what the energy is like. Uh, but as far as the game goes, what you just said is is key. I'm really – I'm always fascinated when you watch these offenses that are so precision-based and timing-based, and when they work, they are so lethal. 
and it looks like they're unstoppable. And I always equate the proper defensive game plan against those offenses as the crowbar and the bicycle spokes approach. Because if you face a team that can run the ball really well, sometimes when you're effective against them, it just means you throttle their production down to 70% of their normal self or 65%. Well, when you face one of these timing and rhythm-based, passing-based offenses, that's sometimes not the way it works. Sometimes when you find the magic formula and you possess the ingredients to interrupt that, it doesn't slow down. It goes from full operational to crowbar in the bicycle spokes, full stop immediately. And you just fly over the handlebars and you're Bobby Petrino. Your face is all scarred up and people are asking what happened and, and people make memes out of you. So I don't know that that's going to happen this Saturday. That's that's what I'm so excited to see. I'm excited to see if Dan Lanning and his defensive staff have figured some things out and maybe by figure things out, I just mean they have the right personnel. And all of a sudden you get to the end of the first quarter, you're midway through the second quarter. Washington State has six points on the board instead of 24 and the nation is starting to text each other saying, hey, are you watching this game? Turn to ABC. Look at what's happening. And people turn it on and they're like the shruggy emoji. They're, they're asking, what happened? And then people start to give your uneducated takes of Penix just isn't on today. Well, maybe he's not. Or maybe someone disrupted the flow and the rhythm a little bit. And all of a sudden, it's not just boom, 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 boom. And you're finding out whether you got a secondary pitch or not. Because fastball pitchers are great when they got 101 on the black. But when it's 97 center cut, you probably need to mix something else in there. And if you got it, you got it. If you don't, you don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, I want to stay right there, Josh. Uh, you know, to, to me, Oregon has, at least through five games this season and, and a couple conference games, has, has, has been has shown to be the more complete team. And if you look at Oregon, you look at USC, you look at Washington, just in terms of what they've done defensively, obviously offensively, those other schools are incredibly gifted as well. How sold are you on the improvements we've seen from Oregon's defense and kind of to what you were just getting at? Like, how, how likely of a scenario do you think it is that they – no one's going to shut down Michael Penix and Washington's offense. I don't know if that's really possible. But how likely do you think it is that we come out saying, wow, like that's Oregon defense. Like, they held Colorado to six. They held Stanford to six. But, man, this was way more impressive. I think – it's. I expect it. I expect to say that we could, we could end up saying that in a loss, mind mm -hmm. you. We could end up – you know, it could just be a different style of game or turnovers could end up being a factor. And you may say things like, wow, Oregon defense, that's a warrior effort, whether they won or lost. But I do expect that to what degree we get it, I guess, is my question, because you'd be hard pressed to convince me you're just going to continue rolling against that Oregon defense. I don't think Kalen DeBoer and his staff expect that, whether they tell the players that or not. I think they understand what they're in for, especially with each team on long rest. And so what I also wonder is, is it a game that sets up to where they're just in your face starting at the 20 or 25 every drive? Or do they play that kind of bend but don't break between the 20s once we get you down in the red zone? That's really where we're going to make you go four drives for only 10 points or something like that. I was at Red River this last weekend, and it was a crazy time because Texas ends up going one of three in the red zone, I think for three points. And OU was six of six in the red zone for 34 points. And that's the game. That's the difference. Every other stat category looks kind of even. And you realize game within the game wins it. So usually you have a game within a game that sets up. I expect 
that's what it is in this one. And then you get to watch those DBs go up against two or three future NFL guys out wide for Washington and 50-50 balls. Can you make them 30-70 balls? Can you force a turnover? Can you, like we talked about, disrupt the rhythm? I lean towards yes being those answers. So I think yes, the Oregon defense, ironically, in a game that will be all about the quarterbacks from a marketing perspective and a promotional perspective, could end up being what shines Saturday. This question. Hypothetical world, this question is being asked. You are Dan Lanning. So congrats. Mm -hmm. Congrats on the new contract, everything up and up and beyond that. Appreciate um, it, guys. Thank you so much. Of course, of course. So, but being Dan Lanning, you got to go to Seattle this weekend. You got to take on the number seven team in the country in Washington. What is I, I don't really have another word here for, for for scariest, but what is the scariest thing that you that you can foresee in this game against Washington? going up is it just going up against Michael Penix and that offense or is it something different that might resurface down the road yeah um normally if we're early in the season the answer to this question for me is kind of generic because it's the same with a lot of teams Dan Lanning or otherwise so I think of my team I think of all teams as dams some of them are perfectly built some of them are really poorly built but even some of the more poorly built dams you can't tell until there's water pressure put against them. Then you see the cracks. Then you see water seeping through. So the scariest thing is we go up to Seattle and they do put up 17 in the first quarter and they have identified a mismatch or two and they have figured out some things looking at us that maybe we didn't even realize was there or maybe we know it's there, but we hope no one else realizes it's there. That would be the scariest thing. Uh, because we've seen this happen sometimes. We've seen it happen to where you see a game that doesn't play out the way you expect it to. It's not as close as you expect it to be. And you come out of it saying, oh, man, you know, even if these teams played again, I don't know that we'll have any more answer for them than we did the first time. And I don't think Oregon fans need to go back too far. I'm talking about Utah. I'm talking about mm -hmm. playing them in the regular season. I'm talking about playing them in the Pac-12 championship game. Both teams end up looking the exact same both times. The final scores are almost identical. And you figured out you couldn't match something that they did. Well, what Washington does great is not what those Utah teams did great. But what if they possess a factor that we can't touch? Now, there is this other possibility, if I'm Kalen DeBoer. There is the other possibility that that team comes up here in our building and they shut us down or they greatly limit us. And we're sitting here looking and saying after the game and dust settles, well, we are what we are. See, that's, that's the thing about being a pretty complete version of yourself by week seven. It's wonderful. But what if the pretty complete version of yourself gets handled? You don't have anywhere else to go. You're going to take that exact same version of yourself and maybe you play them a month or two down the road and we're going to try it again in a neutral building this time. Um, so there's a scary scenario for both sides here. That's the beauty of Saturdays in the fall. It could be really great or it could be horrific and you want to go into hiding. We're going to wrap it up here, Josh. We want to ask you to pick this game because I know you're going to do that on your own show. Um, but what are you foreseeing kind of deciding this one? And uh, it's I think Vegas has it at two and a half right now. I don't know what the model says, but do you think it's that much of a coin flip game? Are you expecting that kind of a game on Saturday? Yeah, yeah, I would probably on a neutral, I would favor Oregon by about a point, point and a half. So I think Vegas and uh, the model are dead on the money there or they're dead on the money in terms of agreement. We'll see how the game plays out. I think in plus territory, what the execution is on third down, that's that's very key. 
I wonder what Washington can do on the ground. Uh, I wonder if Oregon can win on early downs defensively and earn the right to rush the passer. Mm. I think they can. And if they can, then that's where the timing and rhythm that we've talked about like half a dozen times already today, that's where disrupting that really comes into play. Um, And how aggressive they play in the secondary. Those are some of the things. I didn't even mention Bo Nix there. Crazily, I I think I'm going to get a good day out of him. Now, there is also the other aspect, and that is – if I open the window behind me, nice and sunny, look at that backlight here in Nashville. Those are not the conditions that we expect Saturday in the great Pacific Northwest. So <laughs> what does weather do, if anything, to impact this game? Only time will tell. Well, Jared and I both, I think, were up there in 21 when I think the teams combined to throw for 198 yards or something. It was a torrential downpour. So I don't no, know if that it's going to be – I don't know if it's going to be quite like that on Saturday, but the forecast do, does seem to suggest it will be a, not a dry day like it is down there in Nashville. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe what we just said gets scrapped and they both go triple option the entire afternoon and it's a two-hour game. I mean, from a time... I'd you'd be down. Make, no. you'd, make, you'd make your flight, Josh. That'd be good. You, you don't think for a second I'm not rooting for at least <laughs> any drizzle throughout the day. I know what that would do for my travel plans. All right, Josh. Hey, thank you so much for joining us on this show. Uh, as a reminder, your Once Upon a Time, or once, yeah, Once Every Step Upon Saturday tour uh, is in Seattle. Uh, this weekend, we will see you up in the press box. Uh, can't wait. Be good to catch up. And, uh, and hopefully, again, safe travels out, safe travels back. All right, guys. Always look forward to it. I appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Hello, everyone. It's Mike Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats.